I'm going to try to hold myself together. But I've um, been preparing this message for a little bit. And God has just put, and the Holy Spirit just put nails solidifying on what to speak. And I pray that God speak through me. Can we say a prayer this morning? If you repeat after me. God, I open up my heart to receive what you have for me to receive. I pray that you clear my mind. Help me to submit to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that you go ahead and turn off your cell phones if you would. Um, I don't plan on speaking long because we have dessert among us. I want to talk this morning uh, um, about forgiveness. It's one of the greatest words in the world, but it's also one of the nastiest, depending upon your perspective of it. And I'm going to jump into something that, um, that I'm going to call moral injury. Moral injury. So if you'll give me a couple of moments, I'm going to set the table with a couple of of scriptures, uh, lay some groundwork, and then I promise we're going to hammer it home. And I, I, I have a thought of maybe what the Holy Spirit is doing, but I, I don't want to throw that on you. But uh, I think God wants to speak to us. And if I'm not speaking to you, I'm speaking to me because I deal, I'm, uh, I deal, been dealing, continue to deal with uh, a lot of these things. Forgiveness is, uh, is great. I love forgiveness. I love to receive it. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> I'm married 20 years. <laughs> I love to receive forgiveness. I hate to give it. <laughs> John 1, 15 through 17. And I'm just going to jump in here. John testified concerning him who cried out saying, This is the one who I spoke about when, when he said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Go ahead and turn me down a little bit. I'm, I'm ringing a little bit. Um, he, he comes before me. Out of his fullness, we have received grace and a place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, grace and truth, I know we talk about that a lot, um, but it's one of the most difficult things in the world for me. My mind is a mind, I, I'm, I'm a little, I think I'm really weird sometimes. Uh, please don't echo the amens. But I think I'm odd in this, that I, I really see the world and I struggle seeing the world in simply good or evil, black and white. I mean, uh, not races, but the, the, you know, of, of, of black and white. Hey, this is this and that is that. And I, I have no problem, I have no trouble with truth. Have no trouble with truth. Inside my mind is like a finite truth. Jesus is real. God created the world. He created the heavens and the earth. The Holy Spirit is among us. That, I'm, that is a finite truth in my world. And as such, because those things are finite, I try to live my life. Now, I screw it up. Like I said, I love forgiveness until i got to give it. But grace messes me up. Grace messes me up in this sense. I love grace because grace has been given me. 
but I hate extending grace. Some people laugh. I love grace when it's given to me, but I hate extending grace because uh, I have expectation inside my mind of what people are supposed to do, and when they don't do it, that truth, they ain't doing it, but grace has got to come in and it's like, mm, you got to give them a little leeway or have you, ask all the questions. Have you, um, have you showed them how to do it? Have you taught them how to do it? Have you expressed your desire? Have you given your expectation? And ask those other questions. But my finite mind says, you ain't doing it. And I'm wanting to kill you. <laughs> I'm alone, I know. Wrong is wrong and right is right. Uh, but I'm really messed up with giving grace. Let's jump into a scripture. If you want to mark it, write it down, and you can look at the history. I'm going to jump around just a little bit. I want to talk about forgiveness and, uh, and grace. But forgiveness sometimes, it, uh, we need forgiveness, or we need to forgive sometimes when somebody has done something to us. Pastor Johnny, really last week, he messed up my mind, and my mind went down a thousand rabbit trails. But when, when he says, when something and we're doing something wrong, or when we're doing something wrong or failed to do something, God is going to show himself in us. But when wrong is done to us, God is going to use us to show somebody. And so I want to, with that thought, and I want to talk about Jacob. I mean, the story of Jacob, I'm going to get into him uh, in a little bit later uh, in, a, in a different way. But Jacob's daughter, Dinah, it's just like a brief commercial in her life, and it's sad uh, in Scripture when we're reading in Genesis 34 because we're just given this brief caption uh, you know, of all the things that's going on with Jacob. And then there's a, a, a three-minute commercial about Dinah. And sometimes I, when I first read it years ago, I was like, why is there this brief commercial? I really, you know, it's like, this is weird. It's of great importance in, in the story of forgiveness. And uh, Genesis 34, 1 through 7, I'm going to read it fairly quickly. Dinah was the daughter of Leah, whom she'd been born to Jacob. Went out, she went out unescorted. Say unescorted. She went out alone. Say alone. To visit the girls of the land. She went out from her people visiting the girls of the land. I could go down a huge rabbit trail. If you're visiting uh, and hanging out with people that are unsaved, that are, uh, uh, sometimes you're going to get in some trouble. All right, now that we got that understood, when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the, the Hivite prince, uh, he was the sheik of the land, saw her, he kidnapped her, and he lay with her by force and raped her. But his soul longed for her and clung to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl, spoke com uh, comforting to her heart's wishes. He raped her and then spoke comforting to her. I mean, I, I'm, my mind's messed up right there. Um, so Shechem said to his father Hamor, uh, get this young woman as a wife. Now Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled uh, Dinah, his daughter. As a father of a daughter, uh, let me tell you, I'm going to go biblical on your behind. Now Jacob heard that Shechem had defiled, violated Dinah, his daughter, but his sons were in the field, so Jacob said nothing until they came. But Shechem's father, Hamor, went to Jacob to talk with him. That would be a different talk at my house. Nothing to do with my scripture. i got to move on. Now, when Jacob's sons heard of it, they came in from the field, and they were deeply grieved. Can you imagine? Somebody messed up your sister. And they were very angry, for Shechem had done a disgraceful thing 
to Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing had not, has not been done. Now, the consequences of Dinah being raped, heard and defi- hurt, and defiled are this. Shechem saw her. He wanted her. He took her. He raped her. He defiled her. Now he took her. Uh, he wanted her for a couple of different things. There was a blessing that was on Jacob's house. There was a, a blessing that anything that uh, there, there was a promise that he, uh, he was given uh, that he stole the birthright, Jacob and Esau. There was a blessing on his house. Now, uh, other people saw this blessing through the stuff that was coming into his house. So when uh, this person saw Jacob's daughter, Dinah, they're like, wow, it, not only was she beautiful, but she brought prestige to him for him to be with her. Uh, so uh, he took her on to have greater prestige in his own house because Dinah was, a household from, uh, was from the household of Jacob. Uh, now Dinah's brothers, Jacob's sons, deceitfully planned, to deal that, uh, planned a deal that required Shechem and all his family to be circumcised. I'm really not going to get into all that, but it's going to be extremely painful. Uh, if you don't know what that is, I encourage you, don't put that in the search window of Google. Ask somebody. <laughs> So they circumcised themselves, and on the third day, while they were still uh, in pain from their surgery, the brothers went in while they were weak and killed them all. And everybody said, <laughs> and everybody said, amen. Uh, Jacob's response to the actions are what messed me up. Jacob's response to his sons, because they were unforgetting of their race, rapist sister, Jacob said this in Genesis 34, 30 through 31. Let me back up for a second. Donna she could have prevented some stuff because she was hanging out with the wrong people. And she was unescorted. She wasn't with her brother. Somebody's going to watch out for her. Guess what, ladies? I'm sorry. I, I may be old school, and guess what? Guess what church you're in? Read this, and you can, you can begin to understand where my mind goes, the garrison oath of what a man's supposed to be. But let me tell you this. Ladies, do not go places that are suspect anyway. Don't go places that might be suspect alone. We'll move on. Then Jacob said to Simeon, this is Jacob's response. Then Jacob said to Simeon, Levi, can you imagine this being said in the presence of your daughter that had been raped and defiled? And the brothers took up arms and the brothers defended their sister. You have ruined me, making me a stench in the inhabitants of my land, the Canaanites, the Perizzites. My men are few in number and the men of the land will band together against me and attack me. I shall be destroyed in my household. But they said, should this be permitted for, uh, for them to treat our sister as a prostitute. Can you imagine being the daughter in that household? You have done this to me. And he started to see his number in the physical. He wasn't recalling the blessing that was on his household because he started to see his number in the physical. And he just saw himself as few. He didn't see himself. We are only few, and you've made me a stench. You've made me evil. And there's the daughter sitting there, raped, defiled. And now her husband dead. And not only he's dead, but all his family. And she's thinking, well, Dad... What am I? Well, Dad, what am I? Moral injury. When the people that were supposed to, that, that loved you, honored you, and the people that you set up as righteous, when they don't stand up for you, or maybe they're the ones doing wrong to you, have you ever been disappointed? My mom and dad, uh, they, they, as I get older and I hear the stories and I go through, uh, my father-in-law, we were out hunting yesterday and took time talking, but uh, going through all the things in the past of the churches, my dad was a, 
was a youth pastor at a church, and then all of a sudden he wasn't a youth pastor at a church, and he started working for UPS. I come to realize that there was a church split. I was only six. My parents didn't tell me about that. They didn't bring me in. Uh, my bro- I'm six. My brother's eight. And say, sons, we're, we're going through a church split. They don't tell you that stuff. We don't need to know. All I knew is they took us from this church and took us to another church, and it was awesome. I love the church I was at. I went in the first Wednesday night, said, my, uh, said John 3.16, and they gave me a badge and, and Royal Rangers, and they gave me a bunch of patches, and then my mind was made up. This is the church for me because they recognized that I could say a couple of scriptures, and they said, this is cool. So I was set. But I didn't know the whys and all that kind of junk. There's stuff that happens in our families. And sometimes I didn't, a lot of times I didn't hear about it. I didn't need to hear about it. You don't, your kids don't need to hear about some of that stuff. Because they don't need to have bitterness towards their uncle. They don't need to have frustration towards somebody or whatever. But then they, as they get older and we start to hear those, those stories, we realize that there's moral injury. And some, you know, there, there was things that happened that were out of our control and we were let down. Have you ever been let down by a man of God? You ever been let down by a church? You ever been let down by a Christian? Well, my goodness. I've been let down by Chick-fil-A time. <laughs> Guess what? I went back, <laughs> as you can tell. Sometimes you just want to go biblical on people. Samson, let's jump into Samson. In Judges 14, 15, 16, the story's way too long. Uh, Samson was a knucklehead. Uh, he, he had, a, a, at the beginning of uh, his story in 13, uh, he's looking upon the land, and he, the, the big thing is they needed to stay with their people. This isn't a race thing. It's a beliefs thing. It's a foundation thing. It's a moral thing. It's a God thing. So I hate it when people make it into a race thing. That's a bunch of horse, whatever. Uh, so let me talk about when he was supposed to uh, stay with his people. It was people of God. Okay, so now that we got that solidified, let's move on to what I'm talking about. Samson saw a girl, and he said, Dad, go get her for me. And he said, Son, don't you want to land a, a woman from that's uh, basically a Christian household, godly household? He said, She's good enough for me. Young men, let me tell you something. You may see something that gets in a midriff that causes these butterflies and gets your mind going. But you need to know she's advertising to everybody. Young ladies, you better understand something. There's something that goes in your mind and he may be cute and pay you attention and say and wink at you and tell you how blessed and great you are. But he probably got other motives. Number one, realize this. I was the smartest person I knew until I hit the age of 20. And then I realized I was the dumbest human being on the face of the earth. You have no idea. You don't even know who the world you are. You ain't got no idea what you're going to do in the future. You don't know what job you're going to have. You got these inklings. And you sure as heck don't know who you're going to marry. So before all that stuff is settled, realize you better discover who you are in Christ. First, move on. Samson, he married a girl. She deceived him. And those that helped Samson's wife deceived him. Took his wife... And after deceiving him, they gave him to his best friend. 
ultimately the story. So Samson went biblical. I, I don't know how to do this. I like to hunt. But Samson, I mean, I don't know how he did it, good Lord. I know he was strong, but he had to be incredibly patient because he, he took 300 foxes. Where do you get 300 foxes? I mean, I'm looking, I mean, they, they hide. I'm like, do they, I mean, was it just like Noah's Ark and they just, you know, they just march in? Hey, and he tied them together in pairs. So you got 150 pairs. Mathematics, am I right, Jen? Is that 150? Yeah, 150. So, and then he put a, a flame on them. And then he introduced them to all the grain field and he burned down. Okay. You ever want to go biblical on somebody that has messed you up morally? We can go. Now, some of that stuff, Samson could prevent it if he hadn't done the wrong things. But then we go over to, I also want to talk briefly about borrowed offense. My mom and dad, uh, my, my brother, his first wife, God bless her, she, she, she's kept my, my older nephews in church. Y'all pray for my brother. Uh, I mean, he's seen everything in the world. He's got a sense of godliness, uh, you know. But uh, when they divorced, his first wife kept the two boys in church. And that's the greatest thing in the world. And my mom and dad looked at, at, at my, my ex-sister-in-law, and uh, they said, listen, um, we're always going to side with you. And they really didn't give it much. I don't know all the intricacies, but then they told my brother, Wayne, you need to understand something. We're always going to side with her. Because there was a motive. Because if they ever got on her bad side, then that means that mom and dad probably wouldn't get to see my nephews as much. Okay? So, um, sometimes there's some stuff that happens and it's going to come up on you and it's not what you wanted. And you can borrow offense of somebody. So mom and dad told Jessica and I this on that same note as my uh, ex-sister-in-law. Mom told me, whenever, if you ever you get in a fight with your wife, we're always going to side with her. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, is that because you know me? <laughs> And um, because if the husband and wife were to get in a fight and they go tell mom and dad, and you, let's say y'all get in a fight and you go tell your parents how terrible she is. Now, this is not your wife. Thank God you don't deserve her and all that kind of stuff in truth. But if ever you got in a fight with your wife and you go tell your, your mom and dad how terrible she is, in a couple of hours y'all make up. But one thing you failed to do, you failed to go tell mom and dad. And when mom and dad, mom's sitting at the house, I can't believe she did that to my boy. I'm going to kill her. <laughs> that thing, she come in and stole my baby's heart. Stinking hussy. I, <laughs> we laugh, but does that, is that really what happens when we borrow offense? When we borrow offense, somebody else has done somebody wrong, and then you got the, 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 the sergeant of arms that come into your life. Everybody's got a sergeant of arms. They carry their weapons with them. They're weapons of smart-buttedness, attack, vile words, and they, they got their sergeant of arms. And as soon as they, the sergeant of arms, they get the report. 
guys, I've been done wrong. This is just terrible. Then all of a sudden, the alarm has been pushed. We're at DEFCON 5, folks. I have just told my sergeant at arms, we are on the attack. We are going to protect my brother, and we're going to go kill everything, and we're going to burn down the fields. In fact, we're going to make deals, and we're going to go kill all their people. That's what happens when you bar a fence. David's daughter in 2 Samuel 13. There's, there's a crazy story. There, there's, there's Saul. If you ever want to read a book on authority of God, you need to read a book called The Tale of Three Kings. And the tale of the three kings is about Saul, who was the first king. And then uh, God took his hand off of him. God anointed David. And uh, God's hand was on David to be king, but Saul is still king. And David would not go take the kingdom and kill Saul. But then also Ab- Absalom comes along because of this next story. Um, and he comes along and he wants to take the kingdom. And Absalom is David's son. And David says, I'm not going to go kill my son. God God gave me the kingdom, and if Absalom's going to be king, God's going to give him the kingdom. And who am I to stand against God? Okay? So, But we get to this story, and what set the framework of where Absalom was, was what happened to his sister Tamar. In 2 Samuel 13, David did nothing... um, his sister Tamar, uh, a brother, half-brother, came in and he wanted her. And then he raped her. And then she was disgusting inside his mind, so he sent her away. Which was even more disgusting in that time than the rape. David did nothing about it. Didn't talk about it. Didn't talk about it. Never mentioned it. And so Absalom, David's son, also, the Tamar's brother, he's like, this great mighty king, who, who, how, how can you not say, our sister was stinking raped, and now she's sent, and you sent her away, and she's nothing, she's nothing to you? I know I just jumped through that story, but here's my question. What do we do when we are morally injured, whether it's borrowed whether it happened to us because of something stupid or silly that we did, or maybe it's happened to us, it was out of our control. What do we do? What do we do? Matthew 18, 21 through, 20, uh, through 35 says this. This is, what, this is Jesus speaking. Uh, do you know, uh, when, uh, if you got one of the red letter Bibles... Usually, usually the red letters, you got the whole Bible, 66 books. 90% of it is in black ink with a white background. And then uh, comes these parables, words, and sayings of Jesus, and they're in red. Y'all ever get a note home from a teacher and it's in red? <laughs> It means when you got a note home from the teacher and it was in red, or I'm learning, uh, thank God, and I hadn't got the red ones, but when they're marked in red, okay, when I went home with the red, I'll say that. When I went home with the red letter, I have one of them stamps, by the way, that said Clara Auction done. Boy, I use the heck of that. <laughs> but when, it, when I had to get mom or dad to sign and it was in red, that meant trouble was going on and their required change. And pay attention to the words of the teacher in this moment. 
Bible is sitting here, and these words are in red. So I want to reinforce this. This is highlighted, underlined, uh, all that. Parable of the unforgiven debtor. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. No, seven times. Jesus replied, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in uh, who owed him millions. Can you all say millions? Millions of dollars he could not pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife. Who, who does, who does um, debt affect? The person, the family, everybody that is in support or gets support from that debtor. So he couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed, owned to, be paid, uh, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please... Be patient with me, and I'll pay it all. Then the master was filled with pity, and it released him. And he didn't just say, I'll give you more time. He didn't say, take a, a week off, take some time just to breathe. Tell your family they're not going to be sold into debt. He, he forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat, demanded instant payment. I can't, I, I, I'm sorry, I, that's me. We want to insert ourselves in Scripture as the person that's doing all the good. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put into prison until the debt could be paid. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king, told him everything he had, that had happened. Then the king called in the man they forgiven the, uh, and had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you a tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? The angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured, tortured now. Tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to us if we choose to forgive our, uh, choose, uh, if we don't choose to forgive our brothers and sisters from our heart. So here we come to this awful, awful F word. Forgiveness is great when I'm giving it, but it's the worst F word in the world when I'm giving it. When I've got to give grace, it's excruciating. It's not painful. Your trauma, our trauma, or what's hurting you may or not may not be your fault, but pursuing God for healing that's our responsibility and I hate it our trauma but pursuing God for healing is my responsibility I look at the life of Joseph in the, New, in the Old Testament 
Joseph, after being beaten up by his brothers, sold into slavery, lied on by Potiphar's wife, not his fault. So, so he had a dream. So he was a little smart butt kid and told his brothers, kind of a jerk move, but yeah, that's what happened. Sold into slavery, lied on, uh, lied on by his Potiphar's wife, on him. Potiphar's wife' um, household was just blessed. Forgotten by Pharaoh's cupbearer, only to be called upon in God's perfect timing. After all that had been done to him, we, we watch a glimpse of the power of forgiveness. And let me read this. I also got time. I'm good. Besides, I'm going to pray, pray your tires flat. No, I'm going to pray that your radiator overheat in the cool if you leave. Don't call me when it happens. Genesis 50, 15 through 20. Read, read this. Mark this. Joseph's brothers, this is after uh, he is set up at the king uh, to be the second in the household. And this is after uh, he blessed his brothers, moved the family uh, to where they could be tended to. This is what set up uh, the Israelites to be in Egypt. And uh, hundreds of hundreds of years go by. But in this moment, this is what set up the Israelites being there. But in this moment is the death of Joseph's father. And this is what happened. This is the discourse that's happening. After the brothers were taken in, uh, the ones that had wronged him, the brothers are thinking, okay, now the dad's gone, hands off, buddy. We, we are about to get it. Genesis 50, 15 through 20. When, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph carries a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father commanded us before he died, saying, you are to say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers of their sin and their sin, for they, for they did you wrong. Yeah, I, I, I'd get dad to uh, you know, notarize that one. I get a fake notarized since he's dead, okay? Don't kill us, Dad said. That's a good letter. I think I'd put that in the safe. Now, please forgive the transgressions of your servants, of, your, uh, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers went down, fell before him in confession. They said, behold, your servants, slaves. They, they said, we're now slaves to you. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid, for I'm a man, for I'm in the place of God. Vengeance is not mine. As for you, you meant evil against me. This is what I really, we need to highlight this. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order that, uh, to bring about his present outcome that many people would be kept alive. So now, do not be afraid. I'll provide for you and support you and the little ones. I love it how that version says little ones. So he comforted them, giving them encouragement and hope, and spoke kindness to their hearts. How can such a place of grace and forgiveness exist? I'm not Joseph in this story. <laughs> I would say most of us are not. How many of you, uh, don't, please don't raise your hands and respond. How many of us have said we've said, spoken the words forgiveness? To, and said, I forgive somebody. Only to have that person live rent-free inside your brain. And we keep, uh, we, we, we don't keep our record of wrongs. Or as Jana might say, ledger in the accounting world. We, we keep our ledger, and our ledger is clear of everything that we've done wrong. But when we're thinking about that person that has hurt us, the ledger gets full. 
And then however you wrote something important and you really meant it emphatic. In fact, you're yelling as you write. And when you're yelling as you write, you highlight the word and you put pressure on it. I mean, the page underneath the page, underneath the page, underneath the page is feeling the pain of your unforgiveness. And you're just writing, I hate Alex. He is a jerk first. And that's not good enough, so let me highlight it. Let me outline it in red. And if that's not good enough, let me punch it. There's those in this room that you've been raped. There's those in this room that have been hurt crazy deep. And the person that caused your hurt may be sitting next to you. The one that did your hurt, they may be in another church. The one that did your hurt or caused hurt to you may be pastoring a different church. And the wrong, sometimes the wrong that they've done, it's, it's, not, it's not like that rape that we talked about. But by now, the ledger has gotten so full and we've outlined it and so much and put so much pressure on what they did. And that ledger has become so full that you would put them right up there with Satan himself. Or her up there with Satan himself. Forgiveness is so sweet and so awesome to be forgiven. But we are, the, we are the ones to forgive. It's one of the worst curse words. And we hate it. I'm not going to lie. At times I struggle with those that have wronged me. I meditate about the wrongs and the ledger of their wrongs and why. And I ask that question, why? This is the question that messes me up. But I know I'm not like everybody else, but it messes me up. And I ask that question, why? Why would they do that? I've forgiven them, but I'm still asking the question, why? Which means, ultimately, I haven't forgiven them. Why would they do that? They were supposed to be my dad. They were supposed to be my mom. They were supposed to be my pastor. They were supposed to be my friend. They were supposed to be my best friend. They were supposed to be this When we were at youth camp this last year, this summer, Wes is playing a game called Knockout. And Wes's son, Caleb, we're playing Knockout. And, and uh, the game is if he shoots and if he misses, and then Wes, who comes behind him, if he shoots and makes it, his son gets knocked out of the game. And his son was doing good and everybody was doing good. But then all of a sudden we got later in the game and... They were making shots, and it was awesome. But then all of a sudden came up a time. Wes, and I'm talking about Wes that plays guitar on our platform. Um, his son gets up there, shoots the ball. He misses. But then Wes, I think he was really trying to miss. <laughs> I really do, because I don't think he was trying to knock out his son. Um, he threw that ball up, and it was just, I, I mean, every, everything went slow motion for a second. I mean, it was like Hoosiers. It was awesome. Um, and then that ball was so slow. I don't think it hit the rim. I don't think it hit the backboard. It just hit the bottom of the net. 
And then all of a sudden, this excruciating cry comes out. I mean, he upset comes from Wes's son. Wes, are you still here? Okay. It's funny now. <laughs> Actually, it was, it was funny what was happening for me, but it wasn't for you. <laughs> this cry comes out as his son looks at his father in disgust. If there were knives in, in Caleb's eyeballs, Wes would have been ginsued, okay? He, he's just, he's out. He'd have been sliced like a tomato. And his son says, you're my dad! <laughs> Echoing in the gym. I'm, 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 am I blowing it up? Am I making too much? I mean, because it was bigger than it was. Cody was there. You're my dad! I mean, the voice that came out of this young man. It was the voice of many waters. You're my dad! And you knocked me out. You're not, you're my dad. And one of the, the true thing inside the world, and I, I, that's a funny moment, but how many of us have looked at our wife and said, but you're my wife? Because they hurt you. How many of us have looked at our husband and maybe not been out loud, but you're my, but you're my husband. A pastor. You're supposed to be my pastor. You're supposed to be my dad. How could you, why did you do that? It's no longer funny because you're, you're just demoralized. You're defeated. Your whole existence is like, why would... But why would they do that? And you are morally injured. Morally injured. I couldn't imagine being Tamar. You're my dad. You, did, you didn't even take up for me. You didn't even say anything. So I'm worth nothing? And we say, I forgive you. And we'll say those words. Maybe we went through a, a good Bible study or a good, even a good church service and we're like, we laid it down the altar, but then all of a sudden they start to live rent-free in your head because you, you, you encounter it. For me, it's a smell. It could be a cologne. And it could be the cologne that that person wore that hurt my feelings. And then all of a sudden, all those emotions will come back. I get, am I alone in this? And then all of a sudden, because I smell that cologne, I relive that moment. Or something said in a phrase that was said back when maybe you were five or, 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 or two or something. And you recall that phrase and somebody said something terrible to you. And you relive all that hurt over again. And you're like, Dad, it, I thought I got rid of that. And all of, all of a sudden, again, you start with, back with the whys. Why did they do that? But that was my, they were my dad. But I thought, and then sometimes, but you're a human being. And I, I think I've told this before. One of the last services that I got to do inside the prison up north and then moving here and then COVID happened and they wouldn't let anybody in jails and prisons and I still kind of goofed up. I had a, 
a man that had come up to me for weeks, and he said, I want you, I, I can't pray. And he was just looking all just terrible. I, 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 can't, I can't pray. I can't sleep. I can't. I just, can you pray for me to just get some peace? Didn't ask him why. Weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. I, I promise you, it was at least four or five weeks. Finally, he comes to me on, I think, it's, if it's not the last, it's the second to the last service I had when I was up there in, in the prison. And he comes up to me very joyful. And I said, what's up? He goes, I finally got to sleep. I finally got peace. I was like, Bubba, that is awesome. That is so awesome. Praise God. And he said, yeah, finally, I'm, I'm not. And he told me the why. He said, I'm finally, can we go ahead and just turn our phones off, please? Uh, he, he said, finally, I'm able to uh, go to sleep, and I'm not thinking about what I did. And I, I was thinking, I, I really want you to stop there. Because my world's about to change with your next words. And he said, I, I finally went able to sleep because I wasn't able to get it out of my head seeing my son's face as I held him underneath the water and made him drown. He said, but I'm able to rest now. And in that moment, I wanted to choke him. But truly, that's the, the forgiveness that God gives. So whenever I messed up and I had trouble forgiving, I go back to that story in my mind. God forgave him. I can't fathom it. I can't understand it. It really angers me. I really want to go back and just rip his skin off. I really do. I'm just, just being honest. And we would probably want to do the same if we want to get biblical with the people that have hurt us. But I'm coming to realize this, and I'm, I'm, I'm really coming to realize this. We can't forgive by ourselves. Jenna, if you go ahead and come up. She needs you. These are scriptures we need to write down. Mark 11, 25 through 26. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Drop the issue and let it go. So your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions and wrongdoings against him and others. But if you do not forgive... Neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. Hebrews 8.12. Hebrews 8.12. For I will be merciful and gracious towards the, their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Here, here's the deal. This, this, this verse wrecks me. I will remember their sins no more. The word remember is what messes me up. If I cut off my finger and I, I, I put, take it out, I mean, not trying to be gross, but take it out, put it on ice, and we got to rest the hospital. So hopefully the doctors can reattach it. And what he's trying to do when the doctor goes and tries to reattach my finger, he's remembering my finger to my hand. And this verse is saying, 
I will remember your sins no more. This is what happens when a husband forgives a wife, or a wife forgives a husband, a son forgives a father, a daughter forgives a father, mother, uh, uh, somebody uh, forgives their accuser, somebody forgives somebody who said junk about them, somebody uh, uh, forgives their rapist, somebody forgives the person that murdered their, their daughter or son, or where God forgives a man that held his four-year-old baby underneath water until he drowned. What God is saying here in Hebrews I will no longer look at you through the lens of the ledger that you have kept. I will no longer look at you with what you've done and you, your face is the backdrop and I will see the garbage that happened. I will no longer attach that to you. That is no longer a part of you. It isn't saying I, I have forgotten. God didn't say I forgot. Scripture says, there's a part that says, uh, I will cast your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. But God is saying here, I will not remember, I will not reattach you to your sin. We do that. So when I get frustrated, I got to remember who I am. And going back to Jacob, Jacob had this desire. to get married and he made a deal with Laban and he said I want it was Rachel right I want Rachel she was beautiful but she was the younger sister but Laban deceived him and at the wedding they it was customary they covered the whole the, the wife with a veil and after the wedding uh, goes on and they do wedding things he discovered that he was not given Rachel but he was given Leah the one that he didn't want. And then he, he confronted Laban. He's like, you did me dirty. And so he says, oh, you got to work another seven years. But actually, he, he worked another seven years and promised, but he, he got Leah after you know, a little bit. So, um, so he, he, he got Leah. But this is what's weird to me. God blessed and gave uh, Rachel the fruitful she was fruitful and multiplied the most. And God didn't bless and make Leah as fruitful, the, the object of his desire. And this is what tells the story and finishes it for me. Jacob, through all the struggles of life and with Leah and Rachel and all the boys and all their children and all the different stuff, Jacob, they buried Jacob, they buried him with Rachel the one that he struggled the most with instead of the one of favor. What does that tell me? That tells me just like Joseph, there are things that happen in the struggle that happen to us that we needed to happen and that prepared us for what God is doing. Joseph was thrown into the bottom of the prison after learning how to run a household of a governor. So he learned how to manage life. Started out as a slave. Then he was forgotten. Then he learned how to manage a prison. Man, manage a prison. What, why would he learn, need to learn how to manage a prison? Learn, why would he need to learn how to manage food in the prison? Because the famine was coming. 
There's a lot of bad crap that happens to us. And it's not our fault. But we need the Holy Spirit to come in, and you've got to bond yourself with the Holy Spirit. And it's going to bond ourselves with the Holy Spirit, to bind ourselves with these scriptures. It takes meditation, more meditation than it takes when, you're, when that person or whoever wronged you live rent-free inside your brain. And you've got to bond yourself with those words. I, I, I forgive, otherwise I'm not forgiven. God's going to remember my sins no more. God's going to remember my sins no more. That has got to be almost like your daily mantra. In fact, you can walk around in your workplace mumbling that. Everybody else thinks you're crazy, but the peace of the Holy Spirit's on you. That may need to be your God because it needs to be my God at times because God is preparing us for where he wants us to go. Baby, that happened to you. You were defiled. You were messed up. You were thrown away by people, but God is using that God is using that. You were thrown away. So I want you to minister to people and love on somebody that's thrown away and that seems thrown away. See, you know what it's like to feel like you're nothing. You know there's people I put in front of you that feel like nothing. So maybe you think you got a word or two or maybe a hug that can just embrace them a little bit. You were, you were lied on. You were manipulated. Okay, we got to get past that. The Holy Spirit wants us to get past that, but what can we learn through that? Because we get jaded. And here's the problem. Here's the big problem. God, I want to love again. God, I want to trust again, but I can't. I don't want to I don't want to put myself out there. Right? I don't want to be hurt again. I I, I don't want to trust another pastor. I don't want to trust another leader. I don't want to trust another friend that's they're just going to wrong me just like that other person. And the people that's new inside your life, they're paying the price for what the others have done. I laugh at people that have been married 17 times, failing to recognize that there's one common denominator between all 17 marriages. But I don't want them to be like my first wife. I don't want her to be like my second wife. I don't want her to be like my third. My goodness, you got a long list, Bubba. I think you just need to be alone because there's a lot of stuff you don't want somebody to be like. And you've got this long list. We're failing to realize what we fell in love with. We're failing to realize innocence. We're failing to enjoy the moment of where God has us and we're making the people in front of us at times pay the price for what somebody else has done. I look at stuff in my life, and I was laughing at a friend yesterday, or the day before yesterday, his name's Jeremy. And Jeremy, he lost his wife, one of my other good friends, Tiffany, to a horrible disease. They had three children, two beautiful girls, and a, just a cool little son. But I moved away. I didn't get to watch him grow up as much because I moved and gone to other places. But Tiffany, she dwindled down, and it was neurological, muscular, crazy thing. And she just dwindled down. She's a beautiful girl. Went to college. She was just funny as all get out. Amazing. I got, had a voice. I mean, honestly, she had one of the most beautiful voices. When she led worship, it was just amazing. Why God let this happen, I don't know. But she dwindled down to nothing, and finally she passed on. Awful story. Jeremy, I think it was uh, maybe two years later, finally was able to get, I mean, he, he dealt with this sickness, and she was an invalid for years. 
So he was preparing all this, whatever. But he, he remarried, and his new wife is, is younger. Jeremy's 46. I think she's around 20, 29. And they had a child that turned a year old on Friday. And I called him. I said, what's up, pappy? Because he's 46 with a newborn. I just laughed, Bobby. <laughs> and he's got uh, one, one daughter's graduated. The older, her name's uh, Addison. She just graduated. Carson's a senior this year. And I, I think Adam, the boy, is, uh, is, a, is a ninth grader. And now he's also got a newborn, one year old. And I'm like, <laughs> I just laugh at him. I said, what's up, bub? Because I felt like that. I was like, I'm, I'm 45 years old or 46 years old, and I got a six-year-old. God help me. Um, I'm going to be able to walk my daughter down the aisle and walk her. I rebuke that. Though. I, I, hang on to me. But uh, I said, bub. <laughs> and he told me, he said, she, hey, Jack, she said she wants another one. But what's crazy is this young lady had made some choices in her life that were silly and stupid. And she had a problem with trusting men and everything else. And finally, God took the broken man, Jeremy, who had been made whole in Christ and through all that. And God brought her as she has been made whole in Christ before him. That's a big deal, folks can't be half of somebody and marry half of somebody or a part of somebody and God do something. You ain't doing nothing but telling yourself jokes. God brought them together and now that she's got this reward and this baby that she's prayed for, how about that hope? <laughs> I'm going to tell you this morning, what we've gone through is big. The stuff that's been done to you is big. It's pain. Who am I to tell you it's not? Doesn't matter. But then we come to this. Are we going to allow ourselves to be just laser focused on the hurt that's been done? And if our name was written in the Bible, would we simply be called the man with the withered hand? The man at the pool of Bethsaida sat there for 38 years because didn't want to get up. And Jesus asked you the question, and same question I'm asking you today. Jesus asked the man at the pool of Bethsaida, what do you want? And it should be obvious. I want healing. I want to stand up. I want to walk. I want to, I want to be able to go somewhere by myself and not be crippled. I don't want this to be my lifestyle. I don't want this. And that's what the choice is today. It's a lifestyle. You're living a life of unforgiveness. There's flashes of joy. There's glimmers of hope. But that's not life. That's not, what God, that's not the life that God has called us to. That's not the ministry. That's not the joy that God has called us to. We are to live joy unspeakable and full of glory. So I, in this next moment, go ahead and stand with me. Please don't leave the room. Do not leave the room. If I could bar the door right now, I would.
as Janice sings this song, listen to the words. And I know Pastor Johnny, this is an anthem of him. If you could be quiet. This is an anthem. What will the story of your life, you're the editor, what are you going to tell? What are you going to say? Because I'm going to ask you this morning, if you need to, if you want to, if you want to, some of us need to, but we won't. We're happy to sit in the front seats or the back seats, the side seats, and just slide in in church and slide out and never be changed. I was in church. Great. You're still the same dumb knucklehead. If you want to, what do you want to come lay down at the altar? You're not doing it for me. What do you want to lay down at this altar? I'm going to ask you, there's those in this room we need to forgive. Miss Kim, come on down. Would you pray? Help me pray. Brian, come help me pray. Jessica, come help me pray. Dad, come help me pray. Mom, come help me pray. Al, come help me pray. Randall, come help me pray. We got to lay stuff down at this altar today. As Janice sings, here's the deal. Forgiveness, we can say it's a process, but it's, there's a start that happens. There's a start that happens. The start is saying, I recognize that it's eating at my soul. And then you ask the Holy Spirit, and sometimes it's walking up to somebody and maybe they have that hurt that you've had. And maybe they're five steps ahead of you in their healing process. But why is it sometimes we pick the dumbest among us to go talk to to get encouragement? It's because we want to feel better about where we're at. Instead of saying... Sean, I felt like nothing before. I know that you shared in parts of your testimony. Sweetie, how did you get through it? I need you to help walk me. I need you to help me walk because I can't stand. Men, we need to guard our households. It is up to us to lead a life of forgiveness. To lead a life of forgiveness. If you have never apologized to your child... You're wrong. Because I guarantee in some time in the process, you've said something silly that you shouldn't say. And your child is learning how to forgive and how to ask forgiveness. Same thing moms. Same way. Same way. I'm going to pray a closing prayer, but we're at the altar. If you could respect that. Um, Chris, if we could play something in the, in the background. Father God, we need you. Today's word is not in vain. If nothing else, it's from me. I've had so much anger and resentment. And I've spoken the words. I even thought I went through some of the rituals or things I thought were rituals that would help me forgive. But God, that, that memory came back to my mind or that hurt came back to my mind. And it's like the process started all over again which revealed to me, I'm ashamed of it, it revealed that I'm still hurt and I'm still wearing it. 
But God, I know that I'm going to wear it as a scar, but let it be a scar that reminds me of your faithfulness. It's a scar, and it may be deep, and it may be hurtful, and, it, and other people may see it, but let it be a scar that shows that you are my God, and I made it through, and that we made it through, and we're dependent upon you, Father God. Help us to forgive. We honor you today, Father God. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.